All right, why worship, why church, and now today, why community? Yeah, we're so excited that you're here for our service today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, my wife and I, I got to spend last Sunday uh, with some ministry in Dominican Republic, and uh, what an uh, eye-opening experience that was for us. And in fact, uh, as we got back into town, we heard that uh, one of the kids that we had walked the streets with last week to meet new kids, that one of their friends was killed uh, by a drunk driver in an accident just this week. And it's just a, a really difficult place for many of them to live. Uh, but there's uh, some great missionaries that are trying to reach them with the gospel, and we're encouraged by that. To introduce our topic this morning, I'd like to start out in the book of Beginnings. Uh, some of you might know that that's the book of Genesis. And it's the book that very simply and very sufficiently explains where everything came from. In the beginning, God created. That's pretty simple, and, and that should be easy for us to understand. But here in the book of Genesis, we want to go to the very first chapter. And this is where we'll set the stage today for what God has for us. And uh, let's go there, starting in verse number one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. Now, that's a very important phrase, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness, and it goes on to say the evening and the morning were the first day. Now look down at verse number 10. It says, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. So there it is again. Verse number 12, and the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. Verse number 21. And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. See a pattern here? Starting to understand how it developed here. Verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, chapter 2 of Genesis is just really an expanded description of the sixth day of God's creation. And after all the God saw that it was good that we have just read, I want you to see something very important in Genesis chapter 2. Now, this is something that stood out to the Creator himself. Verse number seven, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now look at the verse number 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could be in this place this morning. I pray that you would bring our hearts together around 
this topic of why we need community, why we need companionship, why we need friendship as we walk down the road of the Christian life, as we look forward to the kingdom of, of heaven together. And I pray that you would bless now and you'd unite really every part of our beings together in this. We ask it in your name. Amen. So all of these, God saw it was good. And then we see it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. And our message today is not on marriage. Yeah, those, this would certainly be a good passage to use for it. But our message addresses the questions, why does God want us to be social creatures? Why does God want us to help each other? Why does God expect us to build each other up? Why does God want us to live in community? Why community? Once again, we're going to look for the answers in the principles of God's Word. And even though the culture has some answers on this, uh, isn't it interesting that the dog world, that they don't have dog book, <clears throat> right? And in the cat world, they don't have uh, cat space. I guess MySpace is kind of old. Some people don't even know what that is anymore. But as human beings, we have all of these, what are they called? Social networks. Now, why is it that we need social networks if we are just accidental mutated blobs of mass? Why would we need social networks? Well, it's because we're not accidentally mutated blobs of mass. We are engineered and created by a master builder. And he made us with a need for a social environment. And that crosses over into every area of our lives. And so we're going to notice that this morning. We start with the, the first person who was ever a person, Mr. Adam. And uh, we see this as we begin today. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. Community completes. Community completes. So here we are on the sixth day of creation. And I think creation is just such a wonderful thing. And I can't wait. Uh, to, to get to heaven and to really watch the playback of how it all happened. And uh, yeah, it's such a wonderful thing that God did all of this in six 24-hour days. But God made Adam as the final part of his masterpiece. And you have to think about it. The skies were already taken care of. The plants were already growing on dry land. The sun was shining down on them, and there were birds flying and fish swimming, and land animals were roaming all about, male and female. And now God says this. Track back me, with me to chapter 1 and verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. You wonder where community comes from. Community comes from the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a community Godhead. Let us make man in our image. So man was going to have a triune form as well. He's going to be created with a body, a physical form. He's going to have a soul, an inner person. And he's going to have a spirit, which is how he connects with the Creator. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that cre creepeth upon the earth. And so like Adam, or like God, excuse me, Adam was going to be social. 
And God initiated this in Genesis 2. He gave Adam an important job. Adam was going to dress the Garden of Eden, keep it. He's going to name all the animals. God was going to walk with him and communicate with him on a daily basis, and they had community together. But it was a community between a human being and a superior, eternal, all-powerful being. There was an authority structure that was given to the community. Adam was told what to do and what he could freely eat. He was also told the one thing he couldn't eat. Maybe you've heard that story before. So, so here's Adam on his first day of existence. And he has a huge variety of animals to hang out with. But they're lesser than he is. And they don't have the same form of community. And I mentioned he gets to walk with God, but God is greater than he is. And up to this point, even though he was surrounded by a beautiful creation, he was a single unit. He was a separate individual. There was no one else of his kind. That's where God stepped in and said, it is not good for man to be alone. He needs help to find the fullness of his created being. And so God took one of Adam's ribs from beside him and made him a companion, an equal. Even though I said this message isn't on marriage, we should note that Eve was not just a companion, she was a help perfectly designed to go with the man. The female was designed exactly as God had intended. And they could now propagate the species. They could be useful to each other. They could provide comfort to each other on every level, socially and emotionally and physically and spiritually. And when modern society tries to say that any two people who want to be together form a marriage, they miss the whole point of God's design. The, the man was designed to cleave to his wife. Marriage was formulated by God to help the man and the woman both be complete. They weren't just equals, they were male and female. And there was an order to how God made them. There were a lot of reasons that God had designed it just this way. So the Godhead himself shows us, because of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that we have principles of community. In the first days of creation, we can observe the origins of community in all parts of nature. Uh, trees that have limbs, because they have a tree community. Herbs that would propagate other herbs. Fruit with the seed in itself. Rivers with tributaries. Animals to bring forth after their kind. And on the sixth day of creation, God now designing human community. And community completes us. Solomon said it in two powerful ways. On the marriage aspect, he said in Proverbs, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, there's a lot of other verses in Proverbs that I know some of you marriage skeptics could point to, right? Like, uh, it is better to dwell on the housetop than it is with a brawling woman. I get all those and and I'm not here to get into the marriage aspect as much this morning. Uh, but he did say that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. He also said in Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Their labor. Labor. Sorry. 
Those B's and B's just get, get confused sometimes. You know, you think about the two are better than one principle. Uh, two pick each other up when they're down. They warm each other's hearts. They help each other. They complete each other. And he goes on in Ecclesiastes 4 to say that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so Ecclesiastes 4 is not talking just about marriage. It's talking about companionship and community in general. And if the Godhead had three parts, then when we have a community of two or three who gather in his name, how powerful is that? And so here we begin to see that they complete each other. And as we move forward in the message, I hope we'll all understand how that applies to us, that community completes. But then we also see that community extends. Now, every person in the room today and every person in this life has influence. But the only way for influence to increase is through community. We all need help to be effective in the kingdom of God. There's a great example of this in the Old Testament. Moses, uh, who was one of the Old Testament Bible characters, was beginning the wilderness journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, and his father-in-law, Mr. Jethro, showed up for a visit. And maybe you've read this story before. If you ever want to read up on it, it's in Exodus 18. So here's Moses leading a million-plus people across the wilderness, And Jethro just happens to be in camp on take your dad-in-law to work day. And he goes out, he watches as Moses gets up in the morning and goes out and stands in the the gate of the tenant community and it stands there for 15 hours as people walk up and say, Mr. Moses, uh, this is my chicken, but my neighbor thought it was his chicken. Can you decide for us? And uh, somebody came by and said, this knuckle-headed kid ran over my tent peg and uh, he knocked my tent over and I need you to do something about it. And there were, there were problems just all over the place. Some of them were big, some of them were small, some of them were bringing their kids in to say, we want to know which woman in the camp our son should marry. And Moses is standing there like 15 hours a day And he's doing all of this, and there are people lined up. And really, hundreds of people who are lined up around the tents, and they keep coming before Moses, and Jethro's standing there watching this. And he's alarmed by it. And he comes home that night as Moses basically falls into his, I don't know if he had a bed or a cot or mattress or whatever he had. He was tired. First of all, because he was over 80 years old. Second of all, because that focused attention of judging between two people for 15 hours a day, that's tough stuff. And so Jethro, he came before him and he said, listen, uh, this isn't going to last. It's not going to work for you. And he called him out on this. And uh, if you skip to Exodus, I think there's some pertinent parts that we should actually read aloud here uh, in the message because it would be beneficial for all of us. So Exodus chapter 18. And so this is Jethro in verse number 14. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. 
When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, as many father-in-laws have said to their son-in-laws, the thing that thou doest is not good. Right? That is the quote of a father-in-law right there. Or a mother-in-law. I could, guess I could throw that in either way. The thing that thou doest is not good. And once father-in-laws began to say this, I guess mother-in-laws just latched on to it. And it kind of became a thing of in-laws. Uh, where, you know, in-laws can always see the faults in the kid who's not theirs. Right? And in the other side. I'm sorry, I must be getting into dicey ground because it's really quiet in here. And maybe there's some people having some in-law problems. But he said, the thing that thou doest is not good. Now look what he says. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and the people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee, for thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And so we begin to understand that there was a, a big problem in Moses bringing community in to extend his ministry. He was wearing out, and so were all the people. He had a guy that stood in line the whole day to ask him a question yesterday and never got to the front, so he had to come back the next day. If people were just wearing out, we never get to talk to Moses. Can you imagine being in a community of over a million people where there's only one person who could give answers? It would be frustrating, right? It'd be like the DMV almost. <laughs> It'd be like living in like America, sort of, where we just don't know who to ask. And, and Moses was frustrating everybody, including himself, because he didn't understand this principle of extending. Now look at verse number 24. I love the fact that he listened. He was still teachable. He's over 80 years old, and he's still teachable. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And all of the in-laws just underlined that verse as well. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people. Now look at this. Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And look at how much more effective this was. In our life group today, we did some simple math, and we figured out, and this may be kind of mind-numbing to you, that, that we were this smart to figure this out, that there were at least 100,000 leaders in Israel where there had been only one. Now, do you think that it maybe got just a slightly bit more effective? I mean, if you had a problem with the chicken, now you knew that this is my leader of 10 right here, and he's the guy to go talk to about chicken problems. And if that didn't work, then uh, something was a little bit bigger, then we went to Jeff because Jeff was in charge of the 50 group. And uh, he tried to fix it. And if he couldn't fix it, then we went to the 100 group. And if he couldn't fix it, we went to the 1,000 group. And we had recourse. We had a place to go. And community was able to extend the ministry of Moses. In the New Testament, Jesus modeled this as well. 
You know, Jesus called 12. And among those 12, he had three that he was pretty close to, and one that was uh, what the Bible kind of indicates was his really good friend, John. And Jesus sent out his disciples in teams. He never sent them out by themselves. He always sent them in teams, two by two. And he modeled what he wanted the church to look like for hundreds of years to come. And then Jesus was, uh, was crucified, and, and of course he rose again, and, uh, and then he ascended into heaven. And once he ascended into heaven, the church in Jerusalem began to expand rapidly. And in the book of Acts, people were being added to the church. It said daily, such as should be saved. Lives are being changed in a remarkably uh, quick format here. But a significant thing happened in the book of Acts chapter 6. And uh, once again, uh, if you can turn over there, I think you'll get more out of it because you're going to see the wording here and how important this is that community extends what we do in God's work. Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Now, that's an important word. That's the first time we see it here in the book of Acts. Number of disciples was multiplied. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Here's what we find initially, that there was this major growth. And growth always requires change. And growth always requires adjustment. And growth always brings complaints. And growth always uh, brings people who've been slipping through the cracks. And and here in Acts chapter 6, we see that this is exactly what happened. People were being reached. uh, That's addition. But now people are being reached by people that had just been reached. That's multiplication. And the infrastructure of the local church in Jerusalem couldn't handle the strain. The elders of the church couldn't do it alone. And so if you read Acts 6, it says that they wisely called seven men to be the first deacons. Why community? Because community extends ministry. Uh, I want you to skip down with me, and I want you to see the result of what they did here in verse number 7. So they they got some help. The community was able to extend. Look what it says in verse 7. And the word of God increased. So things got better, not worse. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Everybody was able to be more effective because there was community. And so how does community extend ministry at, say, a place like Centennial Baptist Church? Why do we need it here? Because when we add community to our First Impressions team, we're able to connect with more people. When we add more people to our Kids Start and Kids Life teams, we're able to give those workers time in the morning service to connect with with friends and and spiritual loved ones from time to time and to hear the Word of God preached and we're able to give them a break. By the way, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for our young people who are involved in youth ministry in the first hour on Sundays. And uh, teens in service, it's what it's called. They're doing a great job. And uh, next Sunday, as the Spanish ministry gets started, we're going to be moving kids' life down into the gymnasium. 
And so for all of you that that affects, just so you know that, uh, so kids' life's going to now be in the gymnasium. We're going to be retrofitting that over the next couple of months with their own stage and their own sound and some things over there. But uh, kids start kids' life. When we build to those teams, we're able to affect more people. When we have more youth mentors, when we have more people on the music and worship team, and we're begin- we had eight up here this morning, and God's really blessing what they're doing. Uh, when we add to the life group leadership and life group helpers and prayer partners and even people who are willing in a life group to, uh, to figure out who all is here today. Are we missing somebody? How could we pray for them? And we have a system in place that's coming this fall, is, it's called Fellowship One, where our life group leaders can figure out who all is there that day and know who to pray for and love on and call. And at secretaries and life groups who send out prayer requests for their group and let everybody know when a prayer request is answered in their group. Every bit of that helps us to grow together. Pastor Cole covered a passage in Ephesians 4 last Sunday where it says, it's just so profound, it says that the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Community extends the ministry we're able to do as a local church. And when every member is a minister, the body grows just the way God wants it to grow. And so community completes. Community also extends. But then there's another part of community that maybe you haven't thought of. Community guards. This is another important answer to the question for today is community guards. It protects. It keeps us accountable. And yes, there are times when we need to be alone with God. That's a scriptural principle. It's modeled by Jesus himself. He showed us the benefits of retreat and the benefits of solitude. But Jesus used spiritual solitude to recharge for community ministry with his disciples, with the multitudes who were following him. But could I also point out to you that there is a danger for those who push away from spiritual community in their lives? There is a danger and danger signs that abound when we say, I don't need anybody else to, to walk in the Christian life. We, we know that God's word tells us that iron sharpens iron. I think one of the saddest chapters in all the Bible to me is 2 Samuel chapter 11, where we read the horrible details of David's carnal behavior. Here's how it starts. Just listen to how it starts. It came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. They destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. So David, the warrior who had killed Goliath, man after God's own heart, general who had defeated great armies. He sent others and stayed home while his army battled. He didn't have his normal routine. He didn't have any community around him to help him guard his life. He was isolated. 
and his isolation led him to be entitled. You know, we're going to talk in just a minute how isolation always leads us to entitlement. And we live in this world of entitlement mentality, and it's not a pretty world to live in. The less of your heart and the less of my heart that we don't want anyone else to know about will always lead us toward destruction in our lives. And we need community to help us stay safe. James says it this way in James 5.16. Maybe you've wondered about this verse before. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now, we don't confess our faults to each other to be forgiven. That can only be done through confessing our sins to God. We confess our faults to each other to have accountability. It's not to brag about our sinful behavior. This dependence on other believers helps bring us healing from the deep, dark, secret sins that we desperately want to hide, the sins of entitlement. The sins when you are isolated and you begin to think things like, well, I have a right to be angry about this. I have a right to be bitter about this. I have a right to be a little bit greedy on this. I have a right to have my needs met. If she's not going to meet my needs and if he's not going to meet my needs, I have a right to have my needs met. I have a right to have a man who's willing to listen to my emotional needs. I have a right to have my physical needs met because my wife won't meet my physical needs. I have a right to feel that way. And when those words are in our hearts, Satan uses them and he deceives us. The Bible uses the word beguiled. He beguiles us. You know why we get beguiled on that? Because we're the only ones that we're talking to about it. Wait, we're, it's not, there's no we're. I'm the only one I'm talking to about it. Have you ever discovered that when you were the only one who you were talking to about something, that you may get confused? Right? And I confuse myself from time to time. I don't know about you. And uh, usually when I get so confused, I say it out loud, and then somebody else says, what are you talking about? Because in community and in openness, and when we bring those conversations to the light, God uses community to guard us. When those words are spoken out loud in trusted spiritual community, God brings healing. The light is what kills secret sin. Proverbs 28 says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And when we bring it out into the light, it really helps us to grow. Darkness always makes sin grow. The light always makes us grow. If you're struggling with a hidden sin, you desperately need community to guard your life, just like David needed that. Pastor Cole mentioned that tonight at 5.30, we're starting a six-week study. Actually, we have two, uh, one for men and one for ladies. And in these studies, there will be sessions with the entire group. But you know, there's also going to be a time for some godly community with just a few people. And I need to be around people who will challenge me. 
who will sharpen me, who will question me, who will lead me with their spirit and their example. Isolation never breeds spiritual strength. You need people around you to do the Christian life well. Maybe you've never tried to be around a group. Maybe you've never tried a life group because you're fine with the status quo and you don't mind being isolated. And I promise you that we can do more together than we could ever do apart. Every single one of us needs some community to keep us strong. If David could have used some community, I know I can use it. And as we read through the Bible, boy, community is such a big deal for guarding, for protecting, for helping us to stay accountable, for helping us to stay on the pathway. Because we have friends who say, hey, you're getting awful close to falling off the edge. You need to come back. Right? Have you, have you ever driven like an all-nighter with one of your kids who's a teenager? And it, it always starts this way, Dad, you can count on me, I'll stay awake the whole night. Right? Now, I've not only had teens do this, I've had staff members who are adults do this. I had a staffer once, uh, just to give you a hint, he had red hair and he's from North Carolina. And we were driving all the way to Southern California. And as we drive out of the church parking lot and you get down, you know, kind of toward the Owyhees and he says, Pastor, uh, he, he kind of got that always mixed up. I'm pastor and he called me pastor. Kind of, <laughs> I don't know if that was a North Carolina thing or what. He says, uh, I've got you, I'll be awake the whole night. Before we hit Jordan Valley, <laughs> he was making sounds that I did not know human beings could make. And I was feeling very sorry for his wife because did you ever hear him snore? It sounded like the only thing I could think of, and I never actually heard this, is a cougar crying in the wild. It's like, <laughs> and he's doing this in a chair next to me. We pass through Jordan Valley, and we keep going. And if you've ever driven this, there's nothing from Jordan Valley to Winnemucca except some sagebrush and jackrabbits and a, one casino. And uh, we get to Winnemucca, he still hasn't opened his eyes. I get out to gas the vehicle up there at Winnemucca, and I get back in, still asleep. And then we drive down uh, the interstate there, and uh, usually we turn off uh, to go to Fallon, and I get to Fallon, still asleep. And finally at Bishop, which you've ever driven this, Bishop's nine hours after you start. And I stop for gas again, and he says, uh, he kind of wakes up a little bit. How far have we gotten? <laughs> well, we've gotten quite a ways. He doesn't say, do you need me to drive? It's like four in the morning. No, he says, okay, and he falls back asleep. <laughs> now, the reverse effect of this, though, is when one of your kids is driving on the all-nighter, you can't sleep, <laughs> right? Like you're trying to sleep, and all of a sudden, there's the slightest bump in the vehicle, and you're, ah, what happened? Right? I scare my boys to death on road trips because when they hit the rumble strips, I feel like the rapture has taken place or something. <laughs> I come out of my seat a little bit. What happened? Nothing happened, Dad. Are you sure? You sure you're not asleep? You sure you're not dozing off? No, I'm just fine. You go back to sleep. You come back away, you can't sleep more than five minutes. So, you know, that community can help you stay awake. It can, as I said. <laughs> Have you ever driven an all-nighter by yourself? 
Oh, my word, some of you out there are shaking your head. You have. It's one of the hardest things as a human being to do. And they tell me that you never get used to it. That's why when you drive across Wyoming, they have all these huge parking lots for trucks, along with the fact that they have to stop. But because when you're driving by yourself, and you have nothing but your own mind and the radio to keep you awake, you can be in big trouble. There's no connection. There's no community. And uh, what I'm telling you is that community guards. And we ought to really pay attention to that. But then I want to close up today by saying that community reassures. Because when we do get to the lowest of the low, and when things really are bad, and when things do get really grievous, and our circumstances really do come about and uh, really wound us, we need somebody to pick us back up. We need somebody to help us. Some people like to be alone for extended periods of time. Yeah, they just enjoy solitude and they like to walk in the wilderness or climb a mountain. Other people cannot stand being alone ever. They just can't stand it. They've got to have people around them. One of the most unique characters in all of Scripture is a prophet from 1 Kings named Elijah. And if you ever read about him, you will find out that he was alone for much of his life. And he seemed to be doing just fine. And then a circumstance came his way that was so severe that he told God, this strong man of faith told God, it's enough. Go ahead and let me die. The journey is too hard for me. I'm the only one left of all the prophets. Just let me die. And we find in the extraordinary chapter of 1 Kings 19 that even those who are most committed to faith need God's renewal through community. A prophet as strong and as bold as Elijah was eventually discouraged at being alone. Isolation made him think too much of I. And by the way, isolation will always make you think too much of I. Look at what he says to God in 1 Kings 19. And this is a ways into the story that I've already sort of developed for you. 1 Kings 19, and I want you to notice the pronouns here in verse number 14. He's talking to God, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throw down thine altars, and slay thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Isolation gave him an eye problem. And now, I want you to look at how God answers him. God answers him by letting him know that he needed some community in his life. Verse number 16, middle of the verse. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. God says to Elijah, you need somebody to walk with you for a while. You need somebody to be a, a companion with you for a while. You need some community. And it went even beyond that because look what he said in verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. He said, Elijah, you're not alone. Community has a way of reassuring 
When you think you're the only one in the fight, eventually it will bring you isolation and discouragement. And, and God has given us many reasons for community in our lives. I hope today as we've gone through these that these scriptural reasons have connected with you. Because we can see from scripture that community completes. Community extends. Community guards. And community reassures. I don't know how God is speaking to your heart today about community. But what I'd like to do as we close today is just give you a minute to bear your heart directly to God. And you can speak to God right now there in your seat. And you can just tell God in your heart right now what it is you're sensing, what it is that you need. Because God hears you and he loves you and he can handle whatever it is you're telling him. And God wants you to be in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you say, God... I don't need anybody. I want you to go back to the question, why? Why is it that you feel like you don't need anybody? And a lot of times the reason why you feel like that is because you're afraid. You're afraid there's something in your past. There's something in your life that makes you afraid to connect. I'm kind of in that boat. Uh, when I first get to meet people, I'm kind of like a reverse magnet. Kind of pushes away like I just, and as I get to know I'm kind of get a little more community feel. But I'm afraid. You know what I'm afraid of? Probably what you're afraid of. What will they think about me if I open up and tell them who I really am? And what will they think about me if I tell them what my needs really are? Because when you're in ministry, there's this persona that you're a person who never messes up. You're a person who's got it all together, and you're a person who never freaks out and who never gets discouraged. And we all need each other, and we need community, and we need God to bring us together and to allow us to pray for each other, not on surface levels, but on deep levels. We need God to bring us accountability with each other in some of the deep areas of our life where we can open up with each other and say, I've struggled with this. You know what a, a lot of times happens when we put it out there in the open? We have other people who say, I've struggled with that too. See, when we isolate, we think that our need is the only need there's ever been. But when we open up, we find out that everybody's got needs. And everybody's got hurts. And everybody's got circumstances. And so, why community? Because God wants to use community in our lives in a very special way. As you bow today, would you talk directly to God? And as I pray aloud, would you pray to him and tell him what your needs are today? And would you be real? And would you be honest with the God who created you with this need? Father.